and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Good. I told Mariah during worship, I'm like, I don't know if I'm speaking to the like smart people or the boring people at spring break. So everybody's probably boring, like they don't go on trips or they're smart because they didn't want to take out a loan to get some gas and go on a trip. So <laughs> I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but I'm so excited. Uh, usually um, I don't preach a lot. Right now I'm in law school, so I sit at a desk all day and don't talk to anybody. And so I'm like, I'm usually a little nervous, but next week, uh, this is my spring break this week. Next week we have, which is like a moot court. So it's like a fake court and we have to argue make oral arguments in front of three judges on a certain case and facts that we've been given. And that's next week. So I'm like, hey, this is just setting me up for that because that's going to be way more scary because not only do I get a grade, I'm not getting graded on this, but I also have a grade, but then they're going to ask you questions. I'm like, I don't know the answer to these questions. So it's going to be really interesting. But anyway, I'm super excited um, to be here and just ministering with you guys this morning. Um, back in January, um, our church in Virginia did prayer and fasting. And during that time, it was a week. Um, the the Lord, I really believe the Holy Spirit put something in my heart, just this hunger and craving. And I, I really didn't know what it was for. I didn't know what this, this taste was about. And during this whole time, I really feel like the Lord was just trying to show me things and talk to me and say, and just reveal things to me. And really what happened was I, t- I made this list and I'm like, all the things that I do that I, that I believe makes me a Christian, all these things that I do that makes me a Christian. And I said, hey, I serve in our middle school ministry on Sunday. I go to church. We have a convocation on Wednesday at school. All these things are awesome. And I'm like, God, we pay our tithes. We even have a little Bible study with a few guys at the law school. All these things. I'm like, God, what else do you want from me? Why are you making me crave something more? And I made this list. I got all the checks these checks on the checks box. And I'm like, let's go. This is awesome. And then slowly, I felt like the Lord started to reveal to me, there's something so much more. And he started to reveal to me, there was this, this, I had a friend in law school and he said he was a Christian and we kept having services and Lord kept putting them on my heart. I'm like, I don't really know this guy. Why are you keep putting them on my heart? And I really believe the Lord just gave me the word discipleship. And you hear that word all the time in church, discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. That's what God has called us to do. Make disciples. And I really believe when we become a Christian and I grew up in a family and then I married into a family that they have Christian values. So I really didn't have to change a lifestyle from stop doing this, stop doing that. It was just who I was. And I'm like, I feel like I'm already a Christian once I invited the Lord into my heart. But there's something so much more. And I really believe the cost of salvation is very small with many of us that grow up in a Christian uh, circumstances than the cost of discipleship. The dis- cost of discipleship really costs everything from vulnerability, pride, time, money, all those things. It really costs a lot to disciple someone. And I really believe the Lord started to reveal to me there's so much more than doing these things that God has called us to do but to disciple someone, to really bring someone beside you and say, hey, this is all God has created you to be. So the Lord started to reveal to me that, and there's this verse in 1 Corinthians that I want to share that really, I think, depicts what discipleship really is. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking, and then the church of Corinth, they're going back and forth like, hey, well, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, and they're just arguing a lot, and it's pretty crazy. And then Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I'll say that again, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters anything, but only God who gives the growth. So two things I want to point out right there. Many times we're like, I can't disciple. This is not for me. It says God assigned them. So I love the sovereignty of God in all of this. He's assigning you if you identify with Christ, saying, hey, I've assigned you people in your life that you can bring along, that you can disciple, that you can teach. And then the other thing, you're like, well, I can't disciple because I just really need to be discipled. You are planted. Somebody has planted that seed that you're here today. And you might feel like, well, I don't feel planted. I feel like I'm buried. They look a lot the same in the early ages. I feel feel like, oh, I'm just buried. No, you're planted. If you just hold on to the people around you, what God has called you to be, you'll be amazed what God will do in your life. And so I believe this passage really shows there's these two ends of the spectrum when it comes to discipleship, especially what a lot of people see in America. And the first one is kind of what I see as like the coaching model, where it's like discipleship, whether you have kids, you work as a teacher, whatever, it's people younger than you, people your age that you work with. Uh, the coaching side of this spectrum is like, hey, it's on me. Like if you're into sports, you know, if your sports team is doing bad, who's the first person always to go? It's the coach. Yeah. And so we always put it on our shoulders. Hey, I need to do this. I need to hold their hand. I need to cover them. This is on me if they do not get to their certain spot. And we almost put them like on a plan. We're like, hey, they'll be here in two weeks. I'll take them to this next Bible study. Then they'll actually go to the revival night. Boom. Then they're the Christian we need them to be. And I think many parents try to do that too. Many parents try to just cover their child and never really expose them to say, hey, I'm planting that seed, I'm watering that seed, but ultimately you are not responsible for the growth. And even as being a youth pastor for a little bit, I just got mad at parents when kids were not where they needed to be. And like, your parents go to church. But ultimately, you cannot teach the sinful behavior out of your child. And that hurts his parents to say, hey, I can't control that. No, you can water, you can plant, but you cannot teach the sinful behavior out of your child. It's just the way we've been created. But that does not discount the ability you have to plant and to water daily. The other side of the spectrum is, hey, I'm just here. You know, I'm just ready to go. Lord, if you bring someone in my life, I will just, I will share the gospel with them. And not only that, if they're a Christian, I will just help direct them. But I'm just going to sit right here. I'm just going to stay here. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to really do anything. But Lord, if you bring them to me, I'll be ready. And we just sit back. We stay out of the game. And we're like, discipleship is for me. But Lord, you better bring it my way. I'm not going to do anything else. And so we have these two ends of what God has not called discipleship and what we see in the church a lot and it's caused a lot of harm. And so these scriptures really show what God's really called in discipleship. And so these two sides that really blow my mind are just like, what, what, where have we gotten? But I believe it's the, a discipleship issue and I think we need to make the distinction before someone can be discipled, they have to be a disciple. What that means is they just have to be saved. Because if they're not saved, I know for me, I get really frustrated. It's like going to an apple tree looking for an orange. 
So we teach them to this person that's not saved, and we're trying to give them all these biblical morals, these biblical values, this biblical direction, and we just get mad when we go to the apple tree and find oranges. And we're so frustrated. I know I've been there. And the reality is they're trying to produce something that they can never can because they don't have the spirit living with inside of them. And so we get so frustrated. And because it's a discipleship problem, what it comes down to, it's an accountability and community problem. It's a community problem simply because there's no, there's no grouping together, building each other. I mean, I like life group, but the only time I'm like, oh, life group on a Sunday night too. I'm like, I got school tomorrow morning. I don't want to do that. Maybe a life group every other week. That fits me. That's good. Not, there's not too much people in my life. But we don't have that group coming together, building that relationship relationship. And then the second part, it's an accountability problem. Because if I have to hold someone else accountable, that means they get to hold me accountable. And nobody holds me accountable. Not even my wife sometimes. That's how I feel. And that's how we all operate. And so those two things, the community aspect and the accountability aspect, make it a discipleship problem. And so I want to talk today um, about this discipleship problem I feel like we have in America. And I think it ties so perfectly back to the Royals um, message you guys are in, that discipleship problem has so much to do with the family and what you're doing with inside the family. And if you say, well, you might say we have a discipleship problem, but I don't think we do. Um, Arizona Christian University just came out with a study that said, and this is very shocking, only 2% of 18 to 29-year-olds have a functioning Christian worldview. Let me just say that again. 2% in America have a functioning Christian worldview between 18 to 29. So if you're like 40 and up, that's probably the age group that you parented. That's, just think about it, 2%. So in the whole entire youth ministry at this church, maybe two kids have a functioning worldview. That's just looking at statistics-wise. That, sh- that should be very alarming to every single one of us. And it-, it shouldn't be really that shocking, though, if we just look at the result of what culture is at today. It shouldn't be like that surprising. And so I think one of the biggest things that holds us back in our culture from pushing through with discipleship. And the reason that statistic the way it is, is indifference. Um, Since I've been in law school, you read these cases. It's called the casebook method, where you read cases, you learn the law that way, learn how to apply it. And you read some crazy cases, like especially criminal law, um, like just spouses killing the other spouse in their sleep, um, like a dog breaking through the door in an apartment complex, going through the hall, eating somebody to death. Um, and then there's this one that has to do with skiing. And so over Christmas break, me, Mariah, my family, they were in town. Uh, we have this like artificial ski complex, but let's go skiing. So I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this. Uh, law school makes you very cynical too. You look at, you look at a contract and you like sign your, and I'm like, I'm signing everything away. If I get hurt, I can't sue them. I can't do anything. You just sign everything away. Before it, I didn't care. I just check. Yes, go. Makes you very cynical. And I get my skis. I'm like, I'm, at first I actually did it. I'll say that. And all my brothers just made fun of me. I'm like, fine, I'll do it. So I'm going to like, I get my skis. I'm going to like the kitty slope. And it's like five feet down. And it's just like a warm-up thing. It's not bad at all. And I'm like, oh, it's bad. And I'm like, why am I doing this? How do you do this? It's so painful. It's nothing fun about it. I don't know who skis. And 
I get down to the edge, just literally, and like, I'm, I'm like this at the end, and I'm like, Mariah, just give me a push, I gotta go. And there's like five-year-olds just going, just going. I'm like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> and so I went one time down, and that was it. And my brothers, everybody else went up to like the big slopes where they would go down. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So I'm like thinking, I'm right on that edge, and I'm like, I have my Starbucks waiting for me, and there's this big cabin. It's got like deer heads, moose heads all around. It makes it feel like a hunting cabin. It's warm in there, fireplaces going. Why am I doing this? <laughs> so I hear all those stories. I'm like, it makes me so indifferent because I'm just so comfortable where I could be at in that lodge just watching. It, it doesn't matter because I know all the crazy stuff that could happen. I know all the results of everything that could happen if I actually did it. I know it would cost me something to do it potentially, but I know there's so much greater if I just did it. And I think that's how we view discipleship because we understand how much it actually costs. We're not blind to that, but we're very indifferent to it because we don't want to take that leap of faith. And we have to fight indifference. We're just so set back, and then we just almost push it out of our minds. We just push it to the side. Hey, I'm indifferent about it. I don't want to worry about it. Um, if, I, if I said the words Jackson v. Dobbs, would anybody know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Honestly, if you raised your hand, about five of you. That man, And that's, that's the portrayal of indifference. So Jackson v. Dobbs, it's a case right now that was in Mississippi, and now it's in front of the Supreme Court regarding abortion. And they just had oral arguments on it a couple months ago, and then the Supreme Court is actually going to rule on it, hopefully in the summer. We're hoping they actually get to it. They're pretty slow. And I, say, I, I bring this up with indifference is because before that, like before I was in law school, I wouldn't have cared either. I would have been like, whatever, that, that's just another thing. And you can be like, well, Cody, there's so many things that are anti the kingdom of God right now. Why do you just pick on one? And, you, and that's, that's a fair argument. But I really believe right now when it comes to abortion, that's the murder of millions of human beings. And we're just standing back and saying, hey, may, maybe they'll do something. And so we don't know, like I said, I didn't even know about Dobbs v. Jackson, but it's a case right now. And what's, what's hopefully going to happen, I don't think Roe v. Wade will actually get completely overturned, and most people don't think that will happen. But what we're hoping will happen is there's this thing called the viability standard, and that's what the Supreme Court created with Jackson uh, or Roe v. Wade. And we're hoping that they'll overturn that because even like liberal justices like Ginsburg, she's like, this is crazy. This shouldn't happen. And if you do the history of research of it, it's very interesting. But we're hoping that gets canceled out. So then it will be pushed back to the states where they can make the decision. So then what would happen is the states get to choose, hey, how will we um, kind of foster abortion when we allow it? What we will do with that? And so I say that's so important because, again, all of us are so indifferent. Hey, that's just fine. It, it, it doesn't matter. But I'm telling you, there's millions of human beings yeah. being murdered yeah. in our country and I think it's our prerogative now. Hey, if it gets pushed back to the states, which there's a chance it might do, hey, we need to pray for our state leaders. We need to be active in it. We need to be focused on it. But we become so indifferent. I didn't even know that happened. I, that my, oh, congratulations. That's good. But I got other things to worry about. We become so indifferent. I think another reason in our culture we become indifferent is because, again, culture has changed so much. And in the foundation of our country, there was so many Christian values in our country that the Bible was kind of taught to our kids just as they grew up, like those values. 
But how about now when those values are not taught at all in our culture? Like that's a complete 180 where I didn't really have to know certain things growing up just from me to like Malik now. Things have so much changed about what's being okay now and what's not. Even if there was bad things going on, it was still kind of a assumption like, yeah, that's kind of bad that we don't allow that. But there's been this whole 180 cultural shift where no longer now we're just letting our culture, letting the schools, because we kind of believe the same thing. They might not say the Bible, but it's kind of all the same thing to where now it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You said what to my kid? You said what to my grandchild? And so what do we do now when that happens? And I think we like, especially as like conservative, charismatic Christians, we like to blame culture all the time. It's culture's fault that the next generation's like that. It's culture's fault. Instead of maybe just looking at our lack of discipleship. Because we like culture to do it. Even they, though they didn't say the Bible, they kind of did it for us. But now when they're revealing our lack of discipleship, we just want to blame them. We want to blame them. And so that was a dilemma that I noticed in our lack of discipleship with the next generation that was revealed to me. And I think instead of blaming culture, what we can do is actually have an opportunity to disciple the next generation. And because what it really does is, again, we like to blame culture. It's because, you know, before maybe even 10 years ago, I didn't really have to teach my five-year-old about what their gender was. I didn't really have to teach my kids about homosexuality. I didn't have to. It just, it was opposed in culture. But now I have to do that. And what we do, especially again, I'll say, because in this conservative, charismatic Christianity, we will isolate depth and make it the enemy of conversion. I'll say it again. We'll isolate depth and make it the enemy of conversion. And what I mean by that is we'll just blame, we'll be like, well, it's just wrong. Like, can you imagine? And I I recommend this to everybody. There's a YouTube podcast. It's called Mama Bear Apologetics. And again, I'm not talking about intellectual wisdom here. I'm talking about just understanding the Bible. They do a wonderful job of making it simple because I don't even understand it. But when you have a five-year-old come, mom, I feel, I don't know what I feel like, a boy or girl today. How do you answer that? Like, in the Bible, if, if, some, if your kid asks you that today or another kid, if you're working with kids or you're working with even adults, if somebody adult came to you, do you know how you would answer that today? Well, besides the Bible says so. Do you know how to answer those questions besides the Bible said so? Because if you don't, your children, your family members, your coworkers, they're going to turn somewhere else. And I'm not saying you have to have the answer to everything. But culture's expecting more out of Christians now with answers. And hey, where are you? And we're not there. We're just blaming them. My dad's um, a chaplain in the Navy. And to become a chaplain in any type of military circle, you have to have what's an MDiv. It's a master's degree of divinity. And not that the degree matters at all, but you have to have that. Now, in any other church in America, you don't have to even have a degree to be a pastor, which again, I'm not hating on. But I think it points out a point to say that culture is expecting so much more out of Christians than we're expecting out of ourselves when it comes to depth and discipleship. Culture's like, hey, where are you? I I, I need a little more than that. 
And we're like, nah, that's fine. That's fine. And it's being exposed because of what's in culture right now. Especially in my age, what happens too is we go out into culture, we graduate high school, and we come back in some of our family, what happened to them? They just got too smart for God. They just got too smart, and they think they're too smart now, and they went off too far left. And again, we'll blame, we'll blame upper education. We'll blame everything, and that, that, that is to blame, but we will never look at our lack of discipleship as the problem. So more than blaming culture, more than anything, I believe that we owe an encounter um, to the next generation with God that they say, hey, I identify with Christ and we owe an encounter to say, hey, there is so much more. There's so much more God's created you to be. And we need to be prepared for that. So very quickly, um, I just want to go to this passage in Acts 9. Uh, This is very interesting, and I think it really shows um, a few things about discipleship. And I'm going to read it very quickly. Now there was the disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man at Tarshish named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a name man named Ananias, come lay hands on him and, um, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many of, about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. Um, verse 10, Ananias, he was already a disciple, which I find it very interesting. And the Lord says, hey, get up in a vision. Like, I don't know about you, like, especially when we disciple people, we like to make it cool. Hey, let's go to a coffee shop. Let's talk about this book. Hey, this new Craig Grishel book is a great book. It's a leadership book. Hey, it's got Bible verses. This is awesome. We're going to make it cool. Ananias right here, he's in a vision. Hey, get up and go talk to this guy. We will never make the gospel cool enough to people to make them grow in their faith. Don't, don't make that mistake. It's very weird. I mean, there's some weird stuff, especially in the Old Testament. Whew. Like, think about it. Weird. Just some whack stuff. You'll never, it'll never be cool enough to grow people in their faith. So again, God right here is already calling Ananias out of his comfort zone. And that's what discipleship will make you do. It'll cost you something. It'll call you out of your comfort zone. It'll be more than a text or a repost of a service on Facebook. It'll actually make you get out of your comfort zone to to do something that, hey, maybe you've never done before. He simply just told him to go. I think sometimes with discipleship too, uh, we try to make it about, hey, it's only pastors, it's only life group leaders, it's only people on staff, it's only for this type of people. God never said, hey, um, Ananias, I need you to have this good three-point sermon. I need you to have this message ready. I need you to have this knowledge before you can go disciple this person. No, he just said simply go. And I believe that's what God's calling us all to do today is not, hey, I I don't need you to have all this information, all this knowledge, all this technique. I just need you to simply go. And then where I kind of want to focus on is verse 13 and 14. I said, but Ananias answered, Lord, I, I have heard from about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Like, 
Paul is, uh, before Paul, Saul, same person, he's literally killing Christians. Like, and Ananias is like, are you kidding me? Why? Why are you doing this? And he starts to justify with God and reason with God. And what I think we do so much, so often today is when we feel like, hey, we're living by the Spirit. The Lord's put us in a certain direction, called us to do this. What we often do is we use fear or what we think is best and disguise it as wisdom. So let me, that's how it works out. Especially, hey, I see this person, I really believe, hey, the Lord's just prompting me, hey, just give him a $20 bill. Well, Lord, I do not want to, you know, I do not want to pour into those uh, bad habits they have. So again, that fear of, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to do that, disguised as wisdom. And we often do that, hey, Lord, I really know you need to disciple, you know, this person really need to pour in this person's life. You know, this person, hey, you've been in community with them. And you really need to address where their direction, hey, Lord, that'll push them away. That'll push them away. I, you know I can't do that. And it's fear disguised as wisdom. And again, I want to make a distinction here. You have to be a disciple first before you can be discipled. So the whole game changes. And I'm not talking about just calling Christians out because they're living a certain way. But I'm talking about a community and accountability that pushes us both in the correct direction. And so again, we want to use fear in what we think is best and disguise it as wisdom and call that discipleship. And actually, we're on this far side of the spectrum. I'm just going to sit right here. But when they come, I will be ready. I will be ready. But no, don't ask me to potentially interrupt and startle things. And I think sometimes we disguise it as fear. What we think is best is it's because of the voices we listen to whether that's past history from ourselves. Hey, we're all supposed to disciple people. The way we disciple people is going to be affected about our past family history, especially if it's people with inside of our family. Well, that's just the way they are. You know that that's just a family thing. It's been there since great, great grandpa Joe. And we've all been like that. And we use family heritage, and we oftentimes blame family heritage for our own personal problems. Not to say they don't have an effect on us today, but we like to really justify it that way. Maybe it's not even family history. Maybe it's church church history. I am not going to disciple them to be a leader in the church. That church has hurt me so many times. You kidding me? Like church hurt is the biggest thing right now in my generations that I've ever heard. It's the craziest thing too. Not to discount actual church hurt where there's deceitful leaders, but I'm talking about we like to blame that because everybody else doesn't get a pass, but I do. And we want to blame all of our past and beliefs about that, and we'll, that'll affect how we disciple people. That's how we might hinder them from doing it. Oh, I, you don't need to go there. Don't do that. Don't actually go that far into God. I did that, and here's what this person did to me. And we use fear, and we disguise it as wisdom. And then lastly, in verse 15, it says, But Lord said, Paul is a chosen instrument. Like, hey, guess what? Again, you're just here to plant, or you're just here to plant it, you're just here to water. You're not here to pick and choose who you think is going to be a great disciple, who fits your beliefs. But the Lord's going to divinely put people in your life. Whoa, whoa, this person? No. But hey, that's on God. God has called this person to you for you to disciple. 
I love the last part. Oh, man, this is crazy. I could talk about this forever. For I, and this is the Lord, for I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. What? Again, we like to make discipleship cool. And what we really do in the church is play this bait and switch game. New, new Christian, hey, we're going to get them, go through the grow track, go do this, go do that. They're going to love church. But hey, when, once they get far enough, we kind of got to slowly reveal the craziness in the church. <laughs> we slowly do it. It's this bait and switch game. What? And then they finally get there. I didn't know this was what this was about. Yeah, the, yeah Jesus actually said, it'll cost you everything to follow him. Well, you didn't tell me that at first. Yeah. And we play this bait and switch game. And right here, Again, Paul or Saul to Paul is a very recent convert. And Jesus is not playing, or God's not playing the bait and switch game. He's saying, here's what I'm going to show him. Here's what I'm going to show him. This is not no play game. This is not a bait and switch. He's going to see how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. And could you imagine if we all got um, down and with early converts and said, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to suffer for the Lord's name's sake. But we can't do that unless we suffer for the, for the Lord's namesake. That's what God's doing right here. It blows my mind. It, like, that's, what? You didn't at least go easy on him? Come on. Like, he's, he just got saved. He's been blind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not, that's what you're doing, God? You kidding me? Yeah, he's not, he's not playing the game. He's not playing that. So I, I was talking to Mariah about the sermon, and I, again, discipleship's talked about so much in the church, and she's like, well, it's a very abstract thing. She's like, how about, you know, give them something practical? And I'm like, that is totally true, and I, I really tried to do that. And I said, sometimes I think, though, we don't really want practicality. We just want a formula, I know in law school, our professors always get on us. We have to know the rule of law before we can do anything else, but the rule of law itself won't do anything. It's the same thing in the Gospels when they, they ask, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Like, give me the greatest commandment so I can have that rule. And he tells a parable. Like, that's not what we were looking for. And I think sometimes we don't really want practicality because I believe when we're led by the Spirit, the Lord will reveal stuff to us. Hey, this is how I want you to disciple but we want a formula because if we have a formula, we can control it and we know exactly this is how I do it. This is how I do it. And this is next. But discipleship is everything but a formula. I'll close with this story. Um, Again, I talked about my dad as a chaplain. He was recently stationed in Corpus Christi, Texas, and he had what is called an RP, religious protector. And young dude, had a lot of potential, and he's just like, hey, chaps, I'm not, I don't know about this Christianity thing, and that's what they call him, chaps, sorry, chaplain. He goes, hey, I don't really know about this um, Christianity thing, but I just kind of just want to talk to you, you know, just, just talk, just talk. And my dad's like, hey, I'll tell you what, because my dad's like in counseling sessions all day, so he's like, hey, I run at the bay every afternoon, hey, you hop on with me, we'll just run, you know, back and forth on the bay, we'll talk. So days after day, weeks after weeks, time goes on. They're just talking. Dad learns more about his story. This guy, um, when he was super young, his dad left him. I I don't want anything to do with you. Then he gets older, and again, he's not a Christian, but he's like, I kind of want to reconcile with my dad. I want to know my dad. Who doesn't want to know their dad? He finds his dad. He's like, hey, here I am. 
His dad's like, get out of my face. I, I don't want anything to do with you. So again, that's two times of a rejection with the father. So he's telling my dad this, learning his story, just a crazy story. And they're running one day and um, he's like, chaps, how, how do you, um, and he knows he has, my dad has five boys. He's like, how do you talk to your um, boys about just hard things or like challenging maybe spiritual things or just hard life things? How do you talk to them about that? He's like, is it, is it a formula? Do you sit down? Do you talk to them? Do you open the Bible? This is exactly how you do it. And dad said, you know what? Um, what I do is I just, I just grab a baseball. That's what, that's what we all do. We just play baseball. And my dad said some of the craziest, best moments in life is just playing baseball. Hold it for a second, button. <laughs> just playing baseball. And my dad's telling me this story. And then time goes on. And then dad's in his office one day. And RP shows up, and he's got two gloves and a ball. And again, this is a grown man now. Dad's telling me this story. And I'm like, man, this is, I'm crying. And I'm thinking there, like, that's, that's my dad. I thought I was just playing catch for 18 years of my life, but no, he was discipling me. He was making me into the man I am today, the husband I am today. That's what was happening. And this poor RP here has no father. And he's just looking, hey, where are you? And I was so blind to that. And so RP got two gloves and a ball. And he just starts playing catch with dad. At the end of the conversation, RP gives himself to Christ. Keeps going on. This guy's on fire for God. He's like, hey, I just finished the book of Mark. And then this person hasn't actually read the Bible yet, so I can at least disciple, disciple the person on the book of Mark. Dad's like, this is discipleship. And I don't know about you guys today, but wherever you're at, whether you have kids, grandkids, whether you work with kids as a teacher, whether you work with people your age, sometimes this is what it takes. It's not a formula. But every time we throw that baseball, we are opening up ourselves and we are making ourselves vulnerable to our past history, to things we thought we believed. It's going to cost me every time I throw that baseball. It's going to cost me. And you know what? Sometimes the person we're discipling, sometimes the child, he might drop the baseball. And we're not going to get frustrated with them. No, we're just going to keep throwing. Because discipleship's not some type of formula. It's not something that we can figure out, but it's what God's called us to do. And again, every time we throw the baseball, it's going to cost us something. It's going to make us take down our pride, take down everything we thought that we knew, all of our agendas. And it's going to say, no, I'm just going to open myself up to let the Spirit lead and direct this person. So I'm going to pray in a few moments, and I just hope that the Lord today said, hey, the significance of discipleship, especially in the next generation, I don't want to miss it. I know it's going to cost me so much. I know how challenging it is. I got stuff to do, and I, can, I know. I was in that same moment when the Lord revealed to me, Lord, I got to study. I have to do all this stuff. But I'm telling you, when you just submit to the will of the Father, which he has called us all to be disciples, it's going to hurt. It's going to make us be vulnerable. But just watch what will happen in the next generation. They won't even know. They'll say, what? That was discipleship? Let's pray. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.